So there's this movie called Arrival, and I, I am going to give you a spoiler alert here um, to this movie. I figure if a movie's been out for a few couple years now, then I can go ahead and ruin it for you. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so there's this movie, Arrival, uh, that came out a couple years ago, like I said, and it's of these aliens that come to Earth seeking refuge. Uh, not totally clear as to why their ships need to come and dock at Earth, but they do. Uh, they come to Earth, and their, a- their language is not like our language. It's quite different, actually. And the government has no idea how to communicate with these aliens, and so they hire this expert linguist to figure out how to talk to them. Her name is Louise Banks. And as the movie progresses, we start seeing that, that Louise, or Louise, she's trying to crack the code. She's trying to figure out this language. And the more she learns, though, the more that she starts having these flashbacks that are taking place in her imagination. And they're really strange flashbacks. They're not normal flashbacks. In fact, for her, they're incredibly disorienting because these flashbacks and these memories of hers, she's not recognizing all the people who they entail. There's some mystery figures in these flashbacks of hers. Well, as she continues to work on this project for the, you know, in conjunction with the aliens, these flashbacks become more intense and she becomes more confused. She even starts to think that maybe she's going insane. And eventually you, the viewer of this movie, you have a hard time differentiating between the actual plot line of the movie and these flashbacks that she's having. Well, finally you realize what's going on. Finally you realize that the aliens are actually speaking to her by giving her memories from the future. They're giving her memories from the future. You see that they're trying to communicate to her. They're trying to give her clues for the things that she's supposed to do uh, in order to help the aliens uh, by, giving them, by giving her these memories. So these flashbacks aren't indeed from the past, but they're from the future. They're a way to help them. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and this is a mysterious season indeed. This is a season that meddles with our memories a little bit. Advent, the word Advent means coming, and here we sit between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming, his future coming. And it's not always easy for us to tell the difference between the two. We ask ourselves as we listen to these readings, as we listen to the stories of Advent, we ask ourselves, is this something that I've seen before, or is this something that hasn't yet happened? Advent also comes very abruptly. It's a swift coming. Last week was Christ the King, and it was a glorious week. It was a wonderful week. It was a, a, such a, there were so many things that we were celebrating just last Sunday, seven days ago. We celebrated Christ being the King of all the cosmos. We celebrated the victory of Jesus Christ, his reign over all things. In fact, all of November, we took this as an opportunity to talk about things like revival and transformed lives. We had two Sundays of baptisms in November. It was such a great time. If you were to come into this room in November, you would have seen vibrant colors of green, vibrant flowers everywhere, pure whites. You would have seen the gold of victory everywhere. But now you come in and it's cold. It's very cold. There's a stinking snowstorm outside. How abrupt is that, right? And we have the somber color of purple everywhere. The music has this eerie sort of mysterious tone to it. And some of you might be wondering, where did Christ the King go? Where did his victory go? Where did that new life, that revival go? So if you're feeling a little bit of whiplash this morning, you're not alone. 
Those are the questions of Advent that we ask. Those are the questions that are still echoing in our minds. In fact, you might be here this morning wondering, where is the king? Where is the healer? Where is that reconciler of lives? Where is God? And if those are questions that you're asking, then you are in good company, because that is what Advent is all about. Fleming Rutledge, she's a wonderful Advent preacher, says this in her book, Advent begins in the dark. It is not a comfortable season. Advent is the midnight of the church calendar. Listen to the songs that we sing. Listen to the prophets, the psalmists, the exiles, those who yearn for their Savior to come. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And then our reading from Psalm 80. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. And then Isaiah, the prophet, that theme verse, it almost becomes a theme verse of Advent. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, he says. So my family has, uh, my family back in Kansas has a longtime family friend. His name is Adrian. And back in the 70s, my grandfather hired Adrian when he was like 15 or 16 to work at the family factory, a, a plastic manufacturing company. And Adrian is kind of a redneck of rednecks. He's a little rough around the edges, starts his day off with a pack of cigarettes, doesn't always use the best language in the world. He's, and he talks with this sort of coy f- smile on his face all the time. Like, you know he's, he's got something clever that he wants to tell you. Uh, so he's, he's a bit of a surly man, right? So Adrian also worked alongside my father at the factory before my father uh, passed away. And Adrian and my father were buddies. They're buddies. And Adrian tells me whenever I go back to Kansas, he says, you know, back in my garage, I, I have this remote control car that, that I built with your dad. And he says, let me know if you want to come back and, and see that and, you know, if that's important to you. And I always dream of taking him up on that offer. I dream of maybe going back there, going to my redneck friend's house and enjoying a beverage with him and, and hearing stories about my dad. Because I haven't asked him about that. I'd love to ask him about my dad. I'd love to ask him about what it was like to work in the factory with him, how they met, what sort of guy he was, you know, all those sorts of things. Well, on Monday, I got a text from my mom saying that life finally caught up with Adrian. He went out for a smoke break earlier this week, uh, fell over, and died right there. So I'm never going to have those opportunities to hear these stories from Adrian anymore. I'm not going to be able to hear these stories of my father. I wish I could. But those are gone now. The funeral was yesterday. I wasn't able to go to it. I wish I could hear those stories. So Advent is a time in which we yearn for stories of our father. We want to hear stories of his might. We want to know how smart he is. We want to know how strong he is. We want to know how kind he is. And more than stories, we long for his very presence. We want our Father's arm to reach out through that midnight fog and come and embrace us, to wrap his arms around us, to hold us tight, because this world is a dark, dark place. Our prayers reveal just how dark this world is. Oh God, I don't know how much, which is worse, the cancer or the chemo. When will this battle in my bones stop? Oh God, those gunshots in front of my house, are they going to come back? Is it safe for my kids to go outside and play? 
Oh God, my family is so messed up. Will we ever be able to sit down and have just one normal meal together? Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Advent is a time of darkness. Two days ago, literally 10 minutes down the street, down that way, down the highway, almost 3,000 people pitched their tents in front of that great mall of America. Almost 3,000 people slept there on the night of Thanksgiving. The line began at the mall's doors. It zigzagged across the concrete platform there and reached all the way out to Ikea. And these people were waiting for the doors to open at 5 a.m. This weekend alone, right now, as we gather here for worship included, more than 240,000 people will be at the Mall of America, making their pilgrimage there to the Mall of America this weekend. That's more than half the population of Minneapolis. Once they gain entrance, these pilgrims make their way through the maze. They walk past 14 tall posters of scantily clad adolescents wearing barely anything. They walk past these advertisements for screens that that offer better battery life, faster Wi-Fi than last year's screens, and it's all unending. The pilgrims make their way to their favorite chapel. They go back to the high altar. They make a sacrifice of their own labors. They receive a blessing from the chapel priest, and they leave with a relic in hand, hoping that it brings surprise and delight for maybe a few more months. One shopper says this, being here puts us in the spirit of Christmas. It brings back memories. It brings back memories of different holidays. 240,000 people. We will do anything to distract ourselves from the darkness, won't we? We will sleep at the gates of that glowing temple of American consumerism, basking in its warmth and stimulation. So what is the Christian supposed to do? Do we just cover our ears? Do we just ignore it? How do we live in the darkness? How do we live without falling into despair on one hand and distracting ourselves into oblivion on the other? How do we live in the tension of this already and not yet kingdom? Well, we turn to Jesus. We turn to the one who says that he did not leave us alone as orphans. We turn to the one who meets us at the table every week, the one who speaks to us through the word every week. And in today's passage, he speaks to us again. He tells us three mini-stories after telling us how horrible the great second coming will be. He tells us three stories that show us how to wait for him, how to expect him, how to yearn for him. So if you have that, feel free to open your bulletins to Matthew 24. So the first story is of Noah. It's actually one of the only times that Noah is mentioned in the Gospels. And the the meaning of, of that quick little story is quite clear. Jesus is saying that there's two kinds of people in the world, those who know a storm is coming and those who have no clue. And Jesus is saying, don't be ignorant. I'm telling you plainly, there is a storm coming, so you better prepare. Prepare yourself, Jesus says. Get your house in order. Build your house upon a rock, he says elsewhere. Store up treasures in heaven. Clothe yourself in righteousness. Because if you're not taking shelter and refuge in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you will be swept away. So prepare the second story, it's, it's actually twin stories of, of two workers. In the first case, it's two men in a field. In the second case, it's two women at a mill. And in both those situations, one is taken away and one is left. I, I debated whether or not to, to include this here, but I, I feel like I, I should 
take a little aside. Some of you read that and you immediately start thinking of this Left Behind series or that, that song like, oh no, they've all been left behind. Like, depending on what generation you grew up in, you're, you're having these dispensationalist sort of memories coming back in your mind. <laughs> Please don't think of that when you read these passages. Because that's, in my opinion, that's, that's, not, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. We hear in Revelation 21 that heaven and earth are going to be joined as one. Yes, there will be a cleansing, but God's original design, what we learn throughout all the scriptures, is that heaven and earth come together as one. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about believers going up to meet Jesus in the clouds. That's not so that Jesus can whisk them away to a different universe. No, we're going to welcome him. Welcome him home. Come, come, come into your, come to earth. Come, make all things new. Reconcile all things. That's why we go up into the clouds to meet him. It's a greeting as he descends. God's plan is for heaven and earth to come and meet. So this story is very... Oh, and, and the other thing too is the passage, if you read it, it's not, it doesn't tell you which is better, to be left behind or to be taken away. In read in context with, in context with the previous verse, it would seem good to stay on earth, to experience the restoration of all things. You don't want to be taken away. That's not good. You want to be there to greet Christ. So the second story is similar to the first. It tells us that Christ will return, but it emphasizes that we will be caught off guard. So stay awake, Jesus says. Stay awake. Third, Jesus tells us about the master of a house who's robbed. Here, Jesus says, be ready, as one preparing for a thief. So how do you prepare for a thief? Well, you fortify your home. You know, you strengthen your doors. You make sure your locks work. I've been thinking about this so much, I actually had a nightmare about this last night. I, I woke up last night absolutely terrified. So my nightmare last night, I kid you not, was that there was a door to my basement, and as I was walking around my house, I noticed that the window pane had been broken. And so one person could easily just reach through and unlock the door and help themselves into my basement. And as I walked through the basement, I could see that someone had, in fact, been doing that. They had been help, or helping themselves to, their possession, to my possessions. So I woke up absolutely terrified. <laughs> what a horrible nightmare. The silly thing is I don't actually have a door to my basement. My, my basement's all underground. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that I woke up with this sense of urgency to prepare my house. But that there, there's also a second way in which you prepare for a thief. And this way is just as, if not more, important. You look into the darkness. You keep your eyes on the horizon. You look to the darkness. You watch for him to come. You look for that, mo- that movement among the shadows. You listen for any strange sounds, expecting him to come at any minute. You stay alert. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about a watchman on the tower. That's how he wants his disciples to behave in this dark time. We do not look away from the darkness. We look straight through the darkness. Yes, the darkness is real. Now, the great lie of the darkness is that that's all that there is. That justice is a myth. That corruption is inevitable. That death is final. These are the lies that the darkness tries to tell us. But friends, the shadows do not get to dictate to the sunlight. Nor do nightmares negotiate with the dawn. Because we are people of Advent. We are people who know that Christ will come again. And we know this because Christ has already come. He's been here before.
Jesus came 2,000 years ago and inaugurated his new kingdom, his kingdom of light. He broke into our darkness, right? He turned water to wine. He gave sight to the blind. And even when his friends betrayed him, the government beat him. Death itself took him. It seemed like the darkness had won, but our king rose from the grave. He made a mockery of death itself. And now you get to be called children of God. You get to be washed in his waters. You get to be fed at his table. And he has placed within your imagination a prophetic longing for his future kingdom. We have these future memories of justice. We have these future memories of of wholeness and of peace that almost seem to haunt us, that pull our hearts forward, that tell us that there's something more that's taking place here. There's more than just the darkness. So my friends, what do we do? What do we do as people who are following the great Advent King? And we do what we do every Sunday. We declare the mysteries of faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in that last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to this life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.